0: in-office studios of his eye care practices in Nashville, Tennessee. It's As I See It with Dr. Jeff Kegaris, your source for eye care education and receiving the type of patient relationship you deserve. It is time for a patient revolution. And now, your host, Dr. Jeff Keggeris. Welcome to As I See It. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Kegris. I remember talking with our doctors in or around 2010, possibly earlier, about the increasing incidence and diagnosis of dry eye syndrome in our patients in our practices. I recommended at that time that these patients needed a specialized, really integrated focus to help them with their symptoms and to help categorize and catalog all of the available treatments that are that are available if you will to uh to patients that have dry eyes thus the dry eye center at cool springs was born and to really make it stand out and provide patients with the very best options we needed a great doctor that specialized in this area and we're fortunate in 2015 if i remember the date correctly that we were joined by Dr. Amy Weimeyer, who joins me today on the program to talk about Help Me, My Eyes Are Dry. Amy, welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: So a couple of things. First of all, you didn't just pop down here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's not mm-hmm. like you were born in Brentwood and just grew up here and came back. So where did you start off? Where were you born? And how did you get to Nashville?
1: Yeah, I grew up in a small town, Jackson, Missouri. Um, they are now competing for the state football championship this hey, hey. week. Yeah. So home of the Fighting Indians. Big school, small school. Um, it was big for where I was from, small okay. for everywhere else. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, went off to school at Indiana University and then to Chicago for optometry school. And since then, I've lived everywhere from New Hampshire to Arizona before getting lucky enough to end up in Tennessee. So why
0: did you go all the way northeast and then southwest and all of that? You must have been involved in some other things post-graduation, were you?
1: Well, in a sense, I think it's my parents instilled in me a love of travel. So I just wanted to, growing up in middle America, experience everything before I settled down. And I can officially say I don't care for cold weather so new Hampshire's out <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice place to visit in the fall right that's right when it doesn't get too too cold yet so you did a lot of work in refractive surgery centers though also yes, correct and yes. in, in your past so we'll talk about that a little bit too yes um, and with its relationship with what we do preoperatively, what we do post-operatively from a dry eye standpoint so uh, you did your optometry up in Chicago, but you went to IU, Indiana University, yes. as an undergrad. Yes. But you bleed blue for Kentucky, right?
1: I did. Um, growing up, my parents were Kentucky fans. They live in Murray, Kentucky, so that's where my heart was. Um, and Indiana they've had some rough years so, <laughs> so it's easier to root for the champions
0: i got gotcha, you. i got gotcha. you. is that why your parents didn't root for murray state or is that <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they're doing well in the ovc yeah, the they, last they five are. years have been kind they've
0: they've had some really good teams actually yes. so all right so let's talk about uh, uh lasik surgery and yes. and that since since we brought that up and we talked about dryness one of the three more common side effects we historically have always talked with our LASIK patients about is that yes. you may have an increase in dryness after that. Is Did you start working with dry eye patients um, in refractive surgery or LASIK centers, or did that come earlier?
1: Well, I have personally been a dry eye patient for as long as I can remember. So I think that I was drawn to it both professionally as well as personally. And I was always taught that if you're going to cause dry eye through surgery, you better be able to fix it.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That makes good sense. Um, I have a daughter who is going into endocrinology, and a lot of her reasons are because she is a patient with endocrine issues, and so she feels like that gives her a better empathy, Uh, and and yet everybody that has dry eyes, we're going to call that colloquially dry eyes, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but everybody that has that doesn't have the exact same symptom, isn't it? They don't come in and they say, you know, my eyes are dry. Yes. They talk about what? What are some of the various symptoms that people may have that they may go, oh, well, I guess kind of I have dry eyes maybe too. What?
1: Absolutely. So I think intolerance to contact lens wear, a lot of times people think that that's just the brand of contact they're in, but it may be underlying the dryness of their eyes. Um, sandy, gritty, burning, those are ones that people can easily identify with. But whenever we say their eyes are watering, sometimes that's confusing. How can my eyes be dry if they're watering? And then the other one that's a, a fooler sometimes is fluctuating vision. Hmm.
0: Hmm, fluctuating vision and yet I would have thought that would have been nearsightedness, far-sightedness, my astigmatism. Why why do dry eyes potentially cause some fluctuation in vision?
1: Absolutely. When our tear film is unstable, then that can cause an irregular refractive process for our eye and causing that fluctuating vision.
0: If I, as a patient, am unstable mentally, am I, does that mean I have an unstable tear film or are those different?
1: Usually different.
0: <laughs> I was referring to me as an eye doctor, actually. <laughs> so those are different. Okay. All right. So, but not everybody also has the same degree. Right. Some people can come in and say, you know, my eyes itched once last month when the pollen was up. Other people wake up and each and every day they have itchy eyes, and the same thing holds true for some of those other symptoms you mentioned, like the grittiness. Right. Yes. Oh, I had one episode of this, or I live with this daily. I wish my eyes were closed. I can't keep my eyes. Off. I mean, it can be very severe, can it? A lot of big, absolutely like a rheostat with regard to the symptomatology and the degree of problem.
1: Absolutely. And I think the hardest part would be dealing with the patients who their symptoms and signs don't match. So whenever clinically their eyes look perfectly normal, but the patient is experiencing painful dry eyes or vice versa, an eye that looks like it's been beat up and the patient claims that their eyes feel normal on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's been an evolution that we've had as doctors in the earlier days. And I can say earlier days because I'm <laughs> getting older now. Um we used to say I, this just doesn't make any sense. This person's complaining about this, but the signs look great. I mean, everything we saw was fine. Now, what we learn in medicine is the patient knows their body best. So, yes. you know, yeah, there may be an occasional somebody who maybe embellishes some of their symptoms, but for the most part, when the sim- when the patient says this is my issue we may not be good enough to pinpoint where that's coming from, but we know that that's an issue and we need to treat it, right? So you mentioned symptoms don't always match the signs. Would you say that in general, more people have symptoms than the signs you see? Or do more people have signs but don't always experience symptoms.
1: I think it's the second. Um, I think as eye doctors, we're trained to see what's normal or what's abnormal. But as patients, what happens is incrementally over time, these little things build up and we learn to deal with them. It's kind of like um, me um, with COVID. I've gained a little bit of weight over time and I'm surprised my pants don't fit today.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. So let's talk about some of the structures that contribute to a surface disorder. And we're going to kind of modify a little bit of the term and I, I really want you to use the term that you think we ought to use maybe dry eyes is the easiest thing to understand we professionally talk about this being an ocular surface disorder or an ocular surface disease. Yes. Is there a best way that we both as patients and doctors can refer to this condition?
1: Well, I think like you were saying, listening to what the patient's symptoms are and referring to that. So if they're talking about their itchy eyes, I'm going to talk about their itchy eyes. I'm not necessarily going to use the term that I learned in school.
0: Great. And some sometimes the, the things that we call it are because to make sure that the pay, we can utilize the patient's insurance for which they pay for. The insurance company wants us to call it something totally different, right? Well, well, we call this XYZ and it goes by this code number. So we start to get in the habit of calling it that. And a patient, if we're not careful, can say, well, well, no, I have gritty eyes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, but we don't have a gritty eyes code. Right? Yes. That's a symptom. So, yes. so let's talk about some of the structures. Uh, eyelids. Very important with regard to ocular surface.
1: Absolutely. And I think when um, we were both in school, because I'm of that generation too, um, we didn't really pay attention to the eyelids. We might see them, we might think that they looked a little bit scruffy, but we didn't realize that um, in 2020, um, we would start to be saying eyelids is, is where it all stops and starts. If we don't treat the inflammation on those lids, then everything else will not fall into place.
0: Okay, so we've got eyelids and eyelashes, but then we go a little bit farther back and the surface that we're going to hit is the cornea. Correct. Uh, Tell me about the cornea and its influence on dry eye symptoms or signs, things you look for there.
1: Yeah, so with that cornea, it's the windshield of the eye, so it's what we see through. And if that cornea is roughed up or inflamed, we're not going to have clear vision. But it's also where the pain sensors are. So whenever those corneal nerves are inflamed, that's when the patients are experiencing the symptoms, the grittiness, the burning
0: okay and we talk about that per millimeter in the body uh there's one other very sensitive area but one one of the most sensitive areas is the cornea yes. that's why it doesn't take very much to be very uncomfortable correct so the yes. bad news is lots of discomfort with a very small area involved good news is it's usually the quickest healing tissue in the body yes what, what separates then that eyelid from the cornea.
1: We have that tear film. And so that tear film has different layers that each have a different purpose. And if that tear layer is disrupted or what we call homeostasis is disrupted, then the patient starts to experience symptoms and usually they can feel it.
0: Okay. So but wait a minute. That tear film, I thought that was just a big hunk of a lake of water on our on our eyes. Are you telling me that there are more layers to it is it more like a an oreo cookie or is it
1: (laughs) (laughs) if we eat too many oreo cookies we will have an unhealthy tear (laughs) film i do know that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but typically we think of the three layers the oil the water and the fat and each of them have a unique purpose and a unique, I call it factory, where they're they're produced. Okay. And if any of those ingredients are out of sync with one another, then that disrupts our tear film. So
0: let's come back to that oil, the water, and the fat, if you will. Uh, the first thing I want to mention is you, I had to get back to this before I forget it, but yes. you said that some people come in and they say, oh, my eyes are watering. And then we diagnose them with dry eyes and they look at you perplexed like... Did you guys not listen to me? I said my eyes are watering. They're watering all the time. So, but there are two different types of tears, aren't they? We have yes. a kind of our basic tears and our reflex. So tell me, tell us a little bit about that. And-
1: so i think about the tears that we just naturally produce each time we blink um, the oil water and fat glands are putting out more and more tears and then we have our emotional tears something that makes us happy or sad or emotional or if we get something in our eye and those tears are just trying to rinse away um, the debris that might be in our eye
0: so sometimes if the baseline tears are low then the brain says hey We better send more tears and it tips the bucket of the reflex tears, right? And that's why we may have this wetness. Uh, Very good case in point is if you walk from a really warm room to a outside in the middle of winter and you have a big windy day when it's cold your eyes are going to tend to water right because your eyes kind of dried out but like as you said there's a lot of emotional component to that okay Ohio State not playing football (laughs) one of these weekends in this COVID time caused me to have very watery eyes right yes (laughs) so uh, we've got different layers to it let's talk about where these are produced and what they contribute to the lowest layer maybe this mucus kind of layer uh, tell me about that one where where yeah. is that what does it do
1: so I'll sometimes refer to that um, in a slang term as, as the fat part of the tears and it comes from primarily our goblet cells and they produce this mucin and that mucin is meant to help the tears stick to the eyeball itself but also if something gets in the eye the mucin layer can kind of encapsulate it so that it protects the eye so sometimes people um, who are wearing contacts, and they have what we call GPC, they'll have an overproduction of this mucin because the um, eye is not being protected, and the contact lens may be rubbing up against it, and extra mucus is being produced to protect the eye from that that disruptive contact lens. So a
0: lot of times that's when patients are going to say, my my eyes are just really sticky, right? And since everything rolls from the outer edge to the inner edge, a lot of times they're going to pull that out with their finger yes. from the inner corner of their eye right yes
1: and unfortunately that can damage the eye and it can become a cycle mm-hmm. um, and we call that mucus fishing syndrome so that's okay. our, our okay. trivia question for the day so,
0: so there you go the <laughs> mucus fishing, fishing syndrome so and that is a condition when people are constantly rubbing their eye to pull out this mucus yes. and it becomes habitual doesn't it yes and, does and, and that really causes more of a problem and so yes. uh, straight jacket is your treatment for that is that, is that right or,
1: usually telling them the name of the syndrome mm-hmm. will get them to stop no <laughs> one wants to be a mucus fisher
0: there, there you go okay the, the other two components are very very important and, and usually the ones that we treat a little bit more wouldn't you say tell me about yes. the aqueous or water layer first yes that's the biggest thickest component to the tears but not necessarily the most important but you would think it would be but it's a it's a big one right
1: it is it's about 90 percent of the volume of our tears and it's produced from the lacrimal gland what happens is that blood flows through the lacrimal gland and it pulls out the serum and that goes into creating our tears and then that helps um coat the eye and create a refractive surface so that we can see well
0: for the most part is that lacrimal gland also where emotionally it can be squished or squeezed or is that coming differently
1: um i want to make sure i understand your question correctly Yeah, i want to
0: make sure i'm asking it
1: because <laughs> i was thinking of the nasal stimulator but i was also thinking about oh yeah you
0: know? a nasal stimulator that's yeah. another thing yes as i see it we'll be right back if you're just joining me, I'm talking with Dr. Milik Brugic He's an expert, graduated from the New England College of Optometry. Uh, he practices full-scope optometry with an emphasis on ocular disease management of the anterior segment, contact lenses, and glaucoma. Dr. Brugic practices in Northwest Ohio, and he and I have talked about Ohio State a little bit, but he's kind of on that borderline between Ohio State and that other state up there. But we're not here to talk about football for a change. Um, we're talking really with Dr. Brujic, because he's published over 200 articles and has given over a thousand lectures both nationally and internationally. And that's why I have him on to talk about a really exciting development in the management of what we call lid drooping or ptosis. It's a real fancy medical word that we spell P-T-O-S-I-S. And there's a new drug that came on the market last year called Upneak. And Dr. Brugic, first of all, thank you very much for joining us today and talking to our audience. Yeah, thanks for having me. Could you tell me a little bit about what Upneak is? Is it a drop? Is it a shot? Is it surgery? Is it an oral medication? Uh, Tell me what it is and how does it work?
2: Surprisingly, Dr. Kegarai, it's a drop that the patient actually uses once a day. And what it does is it helps the lid lift. So for those people who have the quote-unquote droopy eyelid, it actually helps lift that eyelid up so that the eyelid isn't drooping anymore.
0: Can it work in, can I use this in both eyes or is it just for one eye that really droops a lot? Yep, that's
2: such a good question. So you can use it on one eye or both eyes. There are some people who have as you're well aware um, one lid that droops and then there are other individuals who have both eyes that almost um lower than the ideal position would be sometimes people are self-cognizant of the way that they potentially look They, they maybe feel like they have a sleepy look to themselves and what this does is it just raises it to the level where it's ideally supposed to be you know there's really two two people that benefit from this drop one is Those individuals who feel like they don't see well because of the eyelids actually getting in the way, but they may not necessarily want to... Pursue the surgical route just yet, and the second are those individuals who, maybe just from a cosmetic perspective, feel like they don't necessarily look like the way that their eyes look when they're droopy. And both of those categories of individuals do really well with this drop.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we would agree that we sometimes see people that say, you know, when I wake up in the morning or midday, I'm kind of doing okay, but the later the day goes on, my husband will look at me or my wife will look at me and say are you tired? Because that little bit mm-hmm. of extra group of the maybe the muscles involved on, on the eyelid, um, we start to get that sleepy look when we're really not sleepy, right? Yeah. Could the, yeah. And that can be beneficial, even if this is a sometimes thing, not an all the time thing, correct?
2: You're, you're exactly right, Dr. One of the kind of the most interesting questions I'll get is that a lot of times it's difficult to to understand how a drop could actually lift the lid. And the way I kind of describe it to patients is, you know, the reason why your eye isn't or your eyelid isn't lifting the way it's supposed to is because there's small little nerves that feed into that muscle and that nerve's not giving the muscle enough chemicals to actually lift itself. All this drop is doing is essentially providing those chemicals that the muscle needs to lift itself up that the nerve may not necessarily be providing it. So like you said, sometimes we have people use it every day. Other times we'll have people just use it as needed for when they feel they need that little bit of lid elevation.
0: So once I'm on it, I don't have to continue to use it every single day or my lid will you know, completely close, right? There's no bad side effect like that. <laughs>
2: You're exactly right. So the you just go back to baseline. So whatever your lid looks like without the drop, you go back to that level. And then when you use the drop, you can expect it to lift the lid. You know, one of the things that everybody always asks is, well, how long or, or how, how quickly does it does it work on the eyes? And it'll take anywhere from five to 10 minutes to really start activating that upper lid. And for individuals that are in the exam room for 10 minutes, um, they'll actually see results that quickly after the drops placed in the eyes so it's not something that's difficult to see it's something that's um, a pretty pronounced response for most individuals
0: do you find that some patients will come in kind of take you up on that and say can i come in and can you put a drop in because i want to see if it's beneficial before you prescribe it for me
2: yeah actually we'll we'll almost always place it in the eye before we prescribe it, just to make sure that it's getting the desired um, effect for patients. And what we'll even do too, is let them leave with a few samples. Because sometimes people are on the fence and they say, well, I don't really know if I want to invest in something like this. So we give them a few samples so they can try it out in their real world. But one of the things I like doing is um, immediately identifying it um, when I walk into the exam room, giving that patient the opportunity to use it right at the beginning of the exam. And by the end of the exam, um, we usually see that effect so that they can actually see it in the mirror.
0: Okay, good, good clinical pearl there for the rest of us practicing as to how to, mm-hmm. how to utilize this. Now, does this sure. well, this won't eliminate the need for eye surgery? We're kind of helping the physiology maybe back the way that it used to be better, or just enhancing it some. But it's not a substitute, is it?
2: You're you're exactly right. So there are those individuals that would just benefit from eyelid surgery. The way that I think about this drop is it's almost a bridge between doing nothing, which is really the choices that we had um, as as near as six months ago we really had two choices we couldn't do anything or we we do surgery at this point we now have this kind of bridge option for those individuals that may not necessarily be to the level that requires surgery or may even not be ready for surgery for whatever reason um there's this there's this drop in this medication that helps out in that kind of interim
0: well, we're really, we're really glad. I know as a clinician, I'm glad to have Upneek available because it really does help. I'd say the majority of our patients are in that category of, yeah, and I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. What's involved? How much my I know my insurance cover. And yet, this is, this is really a very, very affordable, um, cost-effective option for either a part or a full-time basis to... Uh, it kind of, you know, push off, especially during maybe these COVID times. I don't, I don't want to go to the operating room right now, or I don't want to be yeah. some of our patients are that way. Um, yeah.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. That's actually where we've seen some of the increased interest as well too, for the exact same reasons, Dr. Kegger, that you just shared with, uh, with the audience. So I I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Well, listen, first of all, um, again, if you're just joining me, I'm talking with Dr. Brujik from Northwest Ohio on the benefits of Upnique, which is a topical eye drop placed in the eye. How often do you typically have patients do this? Once a day, twice a day?
2: Yeah, it's actually FDA approved as a once a day dosing regimen. So most individuals will dose it once a day.
0: So this is a long lasting once a day eye drop that you can put in your eye to raise your eyelids, give you less of a tired look, um, especially for those people that just cosmetically say, my eyes just seem to be drooping. We do see that sometimes in our gas permeable, long-term contact lens wearers that get just a little bit of laxity to that upper lid, don't we? And then this is another good option for them.
2: Dr. Tegreis, those are some of our happiest patients. The one that you just identified.
0: Have you used this in anybody who's maybe already had um, eye surgery? And maybe it worked pretty well, but now it's a couple of years later and there's just a little bit of kind of asymmetry, like one lid may a little lower than the other. Do you think those would be, uh, or, or that would be a, a potentially good choice for somebody rather than going back to surgery to line them up, but to use up Neek in, in the one eye? Yep.
2: We've had we've had several of those, and uh, there was one person just on Friday that I saw who was that exact same patient, and um, I didn't prescribe from the chair. They called me back by the time they got home, saying they wanted me to send the prescription through. So it's um, it's it's been really interesting to see the responses from patients. Very rarely do you have something that provides that level of efficacy that quickly and it provides that type of response from, again, this is from men, this is from women, I mean this is from everybody across the board so, um, yeah, to answer your question 100%, those, those individuals are patients that can benefit from the technology as well
0: And as it is with any medication um, there are always a few side effects. The good news, I think Dr. Brugic and I would agree on this, is that they are very very few with regard to Upneek and we're knowledgeable about them and so as with any medication talk to your eye doctor uh, particularly your optometrist and and see if Upneek would be a good option for you in alleviation uh, of, of any little bit of drooping of your eyelid or something that's bothering you cosmetically or certainly if it's bothering you visually. Dr. Bruzik, I really appreciate you joining us today. Is there anything else you'd like to point out about Upneak or about eyelid positions that would be beneficial that I haven't covered?
2: You know, I just think it's so important for patients to really be proactive about this. If it is something that they are interested in, just make sure they approach their optometrist about this because up until relatively recently, we we didn't have options and and now we really do and they're they're non-surgical options. So they're non-invasive. It's very easy to use. So just make sure that if if it's even something that you think you're a candidate for, something that you're interested in, have that conversation because... This is a prescription product. You do want it prescribed appropriately, and you want to make sure that you know how to use it appropriately as well, too.
0: Well, thank you very much. Again, I want to thank you, Dr. Mealy Brugic from Northwest Ohio, for sharing your expertise on the uh, just in eye care and on this new drop that has been introduced into our armamentarium of pharmaceuticals called Upneak, uh, a real benefit for many, many of our patients. Thanks a lot, Dr. Brujik
2: thank you
0: dr k rice and now back to as i see it so when we have this lacrimal serum coming out of the lacrimal gland up in the upper outer part of our of our eye basically Mm -hmm. uh and and then i get watering from that is that the same place that i will get watering when I laugh at a funny joke so hard. Yeah,
1: so we also have accessory lacrimal glands, and that can produce um, some of those watery tears okay. as well. So we've
0: got a bunch of those glands producing the watery component. Correct. Then we have this oily component, yes. which isn't that thick but it's really really important right yes
1: it it's that outer protective layer so it's the first line of defense as they might say and that comes from our meibomian glands which are located behind our eyelashes on our eyelid and i think that's the most overlooked part of the eye when it comes to dry eye but is now um, coming into our, our vision so to speak mm-hmm, we're starting mm-hmm. to focus our attention on that not only the the diagnosis but there are treatment methods
0: so physiologically those glands uh, as we blink squeeze out some oils correct yes can you see those oils when you're evaluating behind a microscope uh, eyelids?
1: We hope to, but unfortunately, we're we're not seeing that in many of our patients. We're having to actually physically try to express those oils, which should be free-flowing naturally. Okay. And we're seeing those changes um, for a variety of reasons. Inflammation in the body, dietary, or even um, screen time.
0: Interesting, interesting. How does screen time relate to less oil
1: so the less we blink the less oil is produced and that oil becomes stagnant in the glands and if it's stagnant then it's not free-flowing mixing into the tear film so
0: so when we blink or especially if we blink firmly we're actually helping the tears yes Uh, does that sometimes when i blink My girl, I really squeeze my eyes. Why they feel a little bit moist? Is that some of the oil coming
1: out? Yes, we call those blinking exercises. Mm. And um, just like if we sit and stare at a screen too long, our back and our muscles might tighten up. Um, Those glands become stagnant, and they might tighten up in a sense too.
0: Okay, so is that is that where we get this twenty twenty rule a little bit also? Um, Can you tell? tell patients about that and when we are on the screen
1: absolutely so ideally we want to be able to to blink every about six to ten seconds but when we're reading a book we blink less and when we look at a screen we blink even less maybe once or twice a minute and so we're encouraging people every 20 minutes to take a 20 second break and look away and either stare 20 feet away or to blink their eyes hard for about 20 seconds
0: okay so Very, very good. 20 minutes, 20 seconds. Sounds easy does tough right yes absolutely. 20 minutes passes pretty quickly when you're it really does. intent on something but yes. that extra taking a couple really firm blinks is also a very very helpful thing
1: it right? is think of it as getting up and stretching your shoulders and your back when you've been hunched over a screen too long all
0: right if you're joining me right now or just came into the podcast we're talking with Dr. Amy Weimeyer, who works both in the primary eye care clinics at at Cool Springs Eye Care and Donaldson Eye Care but also is the director of our dry eye center at both practices we're going to talk with amy a little bit more about dry eyes and ocular surface disorders right after we pay a few bills and listen to this break thanks a lot three two one i'm talking with dr amy waymeyer who practices both at donaldson and cool springs eye care as the director of our dry eye center and amy's given us an awful lot of good information on kind of the anatomy the structures that are involved in this ocular surface disorder or dry eyes that we call it many people this time of year in the winter because we're 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 recording this in the wintertime talk about how their eyes feel gritty or scratchy or burn while they're driving in the car dr waymeyer is there is is there a reason for that is that dry eyes and how can they can they help ameliorate that
1: absolutely so whenever the um, wind or event is blowing directly to the eye it does cause the tears to evaporate more quickly So our reflex might be to turn the vent away or even turn the heat or the AC off. Um, It might be to put some glasses on, but what we really need to do is to maximize that lipid layer on the front of our eye.
0: Okay, that's the one that comes from those meibomian glands that we squeeze out when we blink firmly, right? Yes. That sometimes get blocked up. Yes. Why does it get blocked up? Were there reasons for that? Is it just because we're not blinking or are there other reasons that that layer gets blocked?
1: I think what's interesting is how we continue to understand cover all of the reasons that this is happening i don't think there's one discrete list Um, one thing that we commonly see in the practice would be ocular rosacea the inflammation caused by edemodex mite that's growing on the lids clogging the gland part of it is dietary Um, in addition we might be experiencing that from makeup so um, use of cosmetics such as botox can impact that as well
0: okay all right we'll talk some more about that there's some experts that got together just like you worldwide and formed this group called the dry eye workshop study maybe or something it's yes. called Do's, right dos yes. one and dos two um yeah uh, this is the way we do's it i guess something like that i don't know anyway uh the, um, but but the dry eye workshop of experts tried to pull together the available information and come up with some common terminology common methods of treatment is that right tell us where do's and some of the ramifications of that collective group have helped you and by virtue of that helped our patients with dry eyes
1: i think what's great is they've taken all of the research and all the data from around the world and different researchers and they've put it together to offer a definition and I think if you define something for a patient it's easier to manage and treat that so what dues to um, revolutionize is that they said that a dry eye is a multifactorial disease which is a disruption of the homeostasis of the eye so by saying multifactorial there's no one silver bullet to treat the problem there's no one cause and by saying that it's a disease I think that that validates for the patients who are suffering that this isn't just a a minor inconvenience, that this is a, a real problem systemically that needs to be managed and treated. And when we talk about homeostasis, that's saying that the normal eye is being disrupted. How do we get an eye that is abnormal back to normal?
0: gotcha so those big words actually are pretty simple right yes many and normal that's what we want right
1: yes and when we have externs here i tell them when you graduate you won't know everything but you need to know normal versus abnormal Mm -hmm. and if it's abnormal you know which direction to go to treat the problem
0: okay many people have found that there's an abnormal osmolarity big old chemical word that i remember from high school and college and uh, either good memories or painful memories of chemistry lab but (laughs) but uh, what is Is osmolarity? How does it relate to dry eyes? How do we how do we test that?
1: Absolutely. So osmolarity is referring to how much water versus salt or other um, solids are in the tear film. And so what we know is if we have less water and more salts or more solids, then you have a higher osmolarity, and the eye is drier or more inflamed. And so our goal with treatment is to neutralize the pH of the tear to get back to that slightly basic level of, of. your quality
0: and, your and Gradually then the osmolarity gets a lower number. Correct. That's one of the if you will objective indicators that you yes. could use or dry eye specialists use to yes. to say hey, we're making some progress. Still though, as you mentioned, we may be making progress on the objective side, but if the patient says Yes, but my eyes don't feel any better. Then we know it may take sometimes symptoms take a little longer yes. to recover than the signs. Is that right?
1: Absolutely.
0: So there are there's a really cool piece of equipment that I know you use routinely on your dry eye consults and on your uh on dry eye follow ups and it's the Keratograph five, yes. which has a complete dry eye program. Can you tell me about that piece of equipment and how you use it in your evaluation, what things it looks at?
1: I think that it's it's been revolutionary, and I, I was so excited to have this piece of equipment in the office because it helps us visualize those meibomian glands in a way that we cannot using just our normal microscope or slit lamp. Um, it's kind of like taking an x-ray or an MRI. It helps us see what's below the surface and identify to patients if they're in an early, a moderate, or severe stage of gland loss.
0: Okay so that instrument measures gland loss and you've added another one to our armamentarium called a lipus. scan
1: N? yes okay, right. and what? what's wonderful about that is it makes the imaging a little bit easier on an upper lid for patients mm-hmm. the keratograph 5 is a little more cumbersome on that um, the lipis scan doesn't have all the whil- whistles and bells of the k5 the k5 can also help us measure tear height and tear evaporation in a non-invasive way
0: mm-hmm when you say non-invasive, that just means we're really not touching the eye. Correct. We're just looking at it. So this is a really easy thing for people that say, oh, I have dry eyes, but I don't like anybody getting close to my eyes because dry eye patients tend to be a little more sensitive, right? Yes. Um, nothing here is going to cause any discomfort at, all, not at uh, all in the evaluation, which is a really, really good and reassuring thing for people.
1: Absolutely.
0: In the meibomian glands uh, I kind of think of that when the dentist shows me an x-ray of my teeth yes and I can see where there might be a cavity or look at this gap between these two teeth or things like that but this is not an x-ray is it? No. it's not using any radiographic we're not worried about radiation don't have to put a big lead wall or anything like that no. it's just a picture in a special way right correct okay so using that you're typically looking at glands as a normal part of your process when we talk about glands not working as well i hear the term dropout what does that mean
1: so um, if we think of someone who maybe in the past has had a sty that's a gland that's become infected and that gland unfortunately will die afterwards or atrophy and that would be part of the gland dropout but we know gland dropout can happen for other reasons Um, sometimes contact lens wear can contribute to it uh, the way that someone might sleep on their stomach rather than on their back that wear and tear we know also that chronic inflammation from rosacea um, medications like accutane can also increase dropout
0: okay okay the coming into this program many people might have said okay dry eyes i don't have enough water in my tears i'm going to find out from dr waymeyer a little bit more about that but we've now seen no 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 it's multifactorial yes multiple causes multiple things we look at we kind of aim treatment in four main areas if i'm trying to be a lumper or a splitter right Mm -hmm. we talk about a biofilm yes we talk about inflammation yes we talk about blockage
1: yes what's the fourth one so we want to look at the tier of quality and quantity
0: okay so all of those we're going to address and of course, we address these things when we do a comprehensive eye health and vision exam, but many of our patients need more uh, discussion because this is a very individualized type of thing, so we set them up for a dry eye consult with you, and part of your history is what medications are you taking? Absolutely. Some medications affect these, correct? Can you Absolutely. give us a maybe just a, a brief overview of some of the medication types or categories that can contribute to dry eyes where people might not have thought that?
1: So, of course, in Tennessee, we're famous for our allergies. So our antihistamines can contribute to a dry eye. Um, Diuretics that someone might take for hypertension can be a contributing factor. Um, This is a time right now where a lot of people are under stress and strain. So our antidepressants, our anti-anxieties, and some of the things that we might use cosmetically as men and women. Botox and retinol can be big contributors or even some of our Lash Boost serums that can increase our lash growth.
0: I have not uh, seen that with my lash uh, (laughs) serum, but uh, (laughs) nor will I. However, that's kind of interesting. So when you find that, if you feel like, geez, I just started on this diuretic and boy, my eyes are really dry. That's kind of a balance, isn't it? Because we've got a, a fix of one thing perhaps or a help of one thing, but a hurt of the other. Uh, How do you generally approach that, Amy?
1: Well, we talk to patients, and if there's a a simple change that we can make, we can talk to their primary care physician. Is there an alternate medication? And if not, we then just have to manage. Um, Sometimes if we're trying to boost just the tear Uh, Quantity, we may use something called moisture plugs. And that's really great for those patients who have hypertension and aren't on a diuretic. Mm -hmm. It's just a way of retaining the tears that they are producing on the front of their eyes.
0: So again, multifactorial, you find out what the issue is of not rather than lumping it together, but splitting it out into its various components and then your treatment is more tailored to what's what should help that the most correct? correct all right so i want to talk some more about that in our next podcast this has been an introduction to dry eyes help me my eyes feel dry uh, with dr amy Weimeyer, the dry eye manager clinic director at cool springs and donaldson eye care next time i want to talk about how we get healthy tears how we protect the cornea what treatment options there are because it's a whole lot more than just over-the-counter lubricant drops, that's that's for sure. And I know people will be very, very interested in that. I encourage you to email any questions to doctor Waymeyer at com. doctor Kegaris at com. Or Dr. Waymeyer at DonaldsonEyeCare.com if you have questions on dry eyes or ocular surface issues. We'll talk more about treatment in the future. Before we stop, though, I must mention that the Iron (laughs) Bowl happened not too long ago. And I think you have a split loyalty in your family between your son and your husband. Is that right? Is one of them happy and one of them very sad?
1: I would say that they have a truce going on. Mm -hmm. They did make a bet of a candy bar. So we did have to buy a peanut butter Twix the other day. I got you. Uh-huh.
0: Very, very good. So your son is uh, eating candy and your <laughs> husband is sulking in the background. Is that the way that goes? Uh,
1: sometimes, yes. We'll, <laughs> we'll see next year. Okay.
0: There's <laughs> always next year for Auburn and Michigan. Anyway, let's move on to uh, a conclusion of the program. Amy, I really appreciate you being with us. Talking about dry eyes, I appreciate just how much you care about patients and you help us in directing the Dry Eye Clinic to make our patients receive more than good eye care A great healthcare experience. Thanks a lot, Amy.
1: Thank you.